Good morning. Welcome to another episode of CCT Live, Cape Cod Times Live Facebook news broadcast. Coming to you every Thursday at 9 a.m. I'm uh, news editor Patrick Cassidy. I'm joined today by reporter Ethan Genter, a, uh, a veteran here on the broadcast. Ethan covers the towns of Provincetown, Orleans, and Brewster, uh, as long as uh, as well as plenty of other stuff for us. Uh, for our big story this week, we'll talk about Brewster's big decision to ban marijuana establishments in town and some potential legal ramifications uh, that you reported on this week regarding that decision. Also. Take Take a look at the first of several meetings about the Cape Cod Canal automobile bridges, uh, a big topic here on the Cape always, uh, and a topic that you've covered plenty from your time covering the town of Bourne, Ethan. I'll go over the latest in the saga of the Dennis Yarmouth Regional School District, uh, where there was a big vote on a new $117 million uh, regional middle school that highlighted some old tensions between the two towns. And we'll also talk about where things stand for the Mashpee Wampanoag tribe and its quest to secure tribal lands and build a $1 billion casino in Taunton. Um, we'll also take a look ahead at a story you're working on about potential plans for an island in Orleans. Always always fun when we talk about islands here on the uh, on the Cape or around the Cape and, and it's a topic you you're like our island guy. Yeah, yeah it seems to happen that way. Yeah. You can take a look back at our past episodes and follow along at home by going to our website, capecottimes.com, and check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all that uh, social media stuff. Um, so, again, the bridges. You covered this uh, a lot when you were covering uh, Bourne, uh, Ethan. Uh, the Sagamore Bridge, the Bourne Bridge. They undergo maintenance from time to time. Uh, they get a lot of traffic back up when that's happening. Um, uh, w- what's wrong with these bridges, and why are we even talking about it? Um, so the bridges are more than 80 years old at this point. Um, so with anything that gets that old, uh, you increasingly need more uh, a little TLC. Yep, I would. Um, so they are, um, I mean, they're, they're called functionally obsolete. Um and as maintenance, maintenance is becoming longer and longer and more and more frequent, which has a lot of people concerned, especially in the town of Bourne, which uh, takes the brunt of a lot of traffic that has to go through the town. And we were talking about this yesterday. They, they, they take the brunt of the uh, traffic going through town to get on the Cape. You can't really get on the Cape without going through Bourne. But at the same time, people are really just passing through Bourne and causing traffic problems. They're not necessarily stopping a lot in Bourne. That's what Bourne is always worried about. Yeah, Bourne, Bourne says they're kind of, the, the joke is always they're the doormat of Cape Cod. Um, people kind of just walk over them trying to get to Chatham, trying to get to anywhere else on the Cape. Um, so there was an informational meeting this week to talk about there are there is an ongoing study. Uh, it's not quite clear when that's going to end at this point. Like any federal study? Yeah. It goes on and on. <laughs> um, but... Um, the Army Corps of Engineers was listening to people from Bourne and whoever uh, else attended that meeting, it was in Bourne, um, talking about kind of what, what their concerns are and, and taking any input. Um, the study that is going on looks at if you want to do just a major refurbishment um, or other possibilities or total replacement. Um, I think, and even when you were a reporter here, mm-hmm. uh, talked about like every almost every idea under the sun has been tossed out about yeah. what to do with these bridges. I remember they were talking about putting one down the middle of the canal. They were talking about twinning uh, the Sagamore Bridge, putting a bridge right beside it. Um, they were talking about you know charging people to go over the. Uh, I think the new bridge, but maybe giving them a, like a free pass if they were going over one of the other bridges and all sorts of other ideas to deal with the situation. Yeah, I think at one point there was even, wasn't one bridge going to be one way off, one way on, yeah. and that was going to be free. And then the middle, there was going to be a third bridge down the middle that was going to be, you could pay a toll and go either, either direction. Way, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
third bridge has pretty much been shelved at this point. Yeah. Um, and the Army Corps of Engineers earlier this year, when they announced that there was there was one bridge work that was going to take 55 days, yeah. it actually ended up being shorter than that. Yeah. But um, that it's talked, about, it's talked about setting expectations. Like, it's going to be 55 days. Like, oh, we, we're done early. This is great. Yeah. So when they did that, a lot of people, they held an informational meeting on that bridge work. And that just turned into a meeting about the future of the bridges because no one, everyone said, forget the 55 days. We're already screwed on that. Yeah. Um, yep. Yep. Let's talk. Let's talk future. Yeah. And I know they also pushed off. They were going to do work on the Bourne Bridge this fall. And there was an effort by our, you know, federal uh, delegation and others to say, "Hey, listen, you you got us in the spring. Give us at least the fall and do this work next year." Obviously, there's that balancing act of if it's work that's really needed for maintenance, you want to get it done, but at the same time, to have both uh, shoulder seasons, if you will, impacted by uh, this work, which basically brings the bridge down to one lane in many cases and causes traffic backups of people coming and going from the Cape. Obviously, the Chamber of Commerce and others say people aren't going to want to sit in traffic when they're coming to the Cape. You know, I don't know what the effect is on the visitors, but certainly on locals, they don't like the idea of when they're going back and forth over the bridges having to deal with that. Yeah, and as these bridges get older and older, I mean, every now and then you, they're still doing just regular work, not just these major like roadway joints and stuff like that. But people in Bourne say bridge traffic isn't a summer thing anymore. It's yeah, a daily it's thing for time. us. Um, it, it, so especially when, because a lot of people who live in Bourne live there so they can stay on the Cape but they can go work in Plymouth or they can go work in Boston and it's not as terrible as a commute. Yeah. Um, and you talk about functionally obsolete. That has to do with, uh, a lot with like the, basically the structure of the bridge. It's like the, the lanes are skinnier and that's when you go over them. Everybody who knows what it's like to go over those bridges and being that oncoming traffic lane, you're facing, you know, basically head on the whole time over the bridge. Yeah. It's always kind of terrifying driving over them. And you always kind of wonder, is it better to be next to that massive concrete block on the outside lane or be in the inside lane and at the mercy of if someone sneezes or something and yeah. crosses over exactly um yeah i always try and drive as fast as i can to get <laughs> exactly. through to the other side as quickly as possible um, and and so this was the first of of this was the first of five meetings that took place on tuesday in born there was another one the next day yesterday in plymouth uh there's one today at nantucket high school um and then next week tuesday in uh at martha's vineyard high school and then wednesday at barnstable high school they all start at six uh, o'clock with a uh, an open house there's a six thirty presentation by the army corps of engineers i think the mass uh, massachusetts department of transportation is also there because they control the roads coming to the bridges and some of these plans that we were talking about earlier have to do with reconfiguration of the roads around the bridges too. Yeah, and I've even been to DOT meetings where they say, hey, say we never fix the bridges. Um, what can we do to make the roadways smoother to get on and off? Um, and that's another thing. People say, hey, you build a new bridge with four bigger, wider lanes. That doesn't really solve anything if you still have these yeah. bottlenecks. Bottlenecks coming into it. You're, you're still sending the same amount of traffic and then it's winding great wider lanes on the bridges, but then they're still going to the same place on either side. So um, obviously, uh, yeah, exactly. we'll be following that story uh, uh, as it uh, goes forward and uh, see uh, where things go. Again, it's a long process with any sort of large federal project. It's going to be hundreds of millions of dollars, if not billions, uh, to kind of deal with that situation. Um, speaking of millions of dollars, uh, Dennis Yarmouth, there's another story 
think I've been here too long. This is another story that I covered uh, when I was a reporter here. I think there have been there were reporters before me covering it. There there have been reporters after me uh, covering it, and certainly uh, Kristen Young, uh, our reporter who covers Dennis and Yarmouth, has been covering it uh, a great deal during her time here. Um, the Dennis and Yarmouth Regional School District has always been, uh, you know, a, a bone of contention between the two towns about the costs of that school district, just the operating costs, and and Yarmouth pays more than Dennis, and the reason is because Yarmouth has more students than Dennis, and that's the way the formula is set up, uh, and that's how they, they pay for the, the school district. Um, but what came up recently, and, and happened pretty quickly in relative terms, is they decided that they needed a new regional middle school. The Manakees Middle School uh, has been a, um, a mess in terms of the physical structure of the building, um, and, and they've also had, you know, just issues with academics there that over the years. Um, but they decided that they needed to replace that uh, school, and they would also be replacing the uh, Wixon uh, Innovation School in South Dennis. Manakees is in uh, West Yarmouth with this new regional school, uh, middle school that they're talking about for grades four through seven, I believe. Um, it's a $117 million school. It seems like every time we do a story about a, a new school or a new building, You've done a new police station story recently. The, the cost always seems to go up. And the two towns uh, had to vote on this in a district-wide uh, election, essentially, this week as to whether they were going to support that. Perhaps not surprisingly, Dennis, uh, who, again, pays uh, less overall, like an actual figure uh, for the schools because there are fewer students there, uh, voted to support it, uh, with 60% of the voters there voting to support it. Yarmouth uh, rejected it uh, in terms of the people in that town voting, with 56% of the voters there opposing it. Um, the, the overall number is what matters, and it passed by 32 votes. So out of, out of all these votes, 32 votes is what it came down to. We haven't heard anything yet. There's been some questions about whether a recount would be uh, called for with that slim margin, but we haven't heard anything yet about uh, somebody officially calling for that recount. Um, but the, the discussion around this new school, which is a capital project, really highlighted these, these ongoing, longstanding uh, dispute between the two towns about paying for the schools and the, the shared costs of the schools. Um, it, important to point out, you know, this discussion has been going on for a long time. There have been overrides in Yarmouth. Yarmouth essentially always has to kind of figure out a way to come up with the extra money that they need to pay for uh, their students going to the school. There has been some compromise over the years and various agreements reached. Um, it was this whole, you know, kind of formula that they use now was put in uh, place back in 2006 at the behest of Yarmouth, because at that point they saw a benefit to going with this particular formula. But in the long term, it's it's cost them uh, uh, more money, and and now they're obviously uh, kind of wondering how they're going to pay for this in, in real terms. Dennis, meanwhile, pretty fiscally buttoned up, um, has been able to pay for their share the whole time. And again, it's a smaller share. And interestingly enough, over the the uh, term going forward, it looks like Dennis is going to be sending even fewer students uh, to the school in the in the projections that we've heard um, and that Kristen's reported on. Um, and that'll mean Yarmouth's share will continue to to go up. Um, but the, the, the vote took place on Tuesday and kind of in the aftermath, uh, Yarmouth officials and the chairman of the Yarmouth Board of Selectmen in particular uh, raised again the specter of deregionalization, which has come up repeatedly where they've said, well, we should, we should just split 
you know. And divorce. now, now, what kind of stuff do you need to do that? Because that seems like a pretty drastic stance. That that's a fantastic question. <laughs> I feel like it's easy to bond together and and bring it together. It's mm-hmm. going to be a whole lot different story when you try and pull it back apart. Well, if you remember, uh, in recent years, the Monmoy Regional School District was formed between Harwich and Chatham, and I remember even as they were forming that, they were kind of pointing towards Dennis and Yarmouth and and saying essentially. We don't want to end up in that kind of relationship. Let's really try and set this up to avoid that. But you're right. It wasn't, it was, I don't know if easy. They went through a lot of planning, but at the same time, it, it wasn't, there wasn't a lot of consternation in terms of coming together in, in Harwich and Chatham and, and they got a beautiful new school out of it. Breaking up is a lot harder. And this, this is something that Cape Cod Tech went through too recently. Mashpee had pondered pulling out as well. Is that That's similar? Exactly. It's similar, a little different there because there are 12 uh, towns that send students to Cape Tech. Um, I think uh, when Mashpee was uh, considering pulling out, that had to do with a new school as well, and that's a good analogy. They they were uh, they were voting on basically building a new school that passed overwhelmingly, I think, in in all the towns in the end. Um, but Mashpee had looked at that and said, "Is this really worth? Is this regional technical school really worth us sending there?" And Mashpee is an in- interesting situation because somewhere back in time, they decided to send their students to Cape Tech in Harwich versus Upper Cape tech in Bourne, which might have been the more natural uh, place to go, and that had to do with some decisions that were made uh, a ways ago. But you're right, that in looking at that, in that case, in looking at uh, this at, in Dennis and Yarmouth over the years, and then again looking at it now, this process, as, as I think uh, Jenny Landers, who's the chairwoman of the uh, regional school committee, points out, is complicated. Um, and it would take quite a bit. You have to have like both towns vote on it. You have to end up sending it to the legislature and get approval from the legislature. And quite honestly, the state looks at regionalization uh, and and really wants schools and, and towns to look at opportunities to regionalize because there's cost savings inherent in that. If these two towns split up the, the, the regional school district, the cost would basically go up for both of them in terms of uh, paying for their students. And that's, you know, that's just a cost benefit analysis of, of having uh, more students. You ha- you can put up better programs. You have more, obviously, student body to draw from when you're looking at a lot of different uh, cost, uh, costs that you're, you're sharing. So, yeah, you're, it's not easy. And I think they're all looking at that. And even though it's been called for before, and, and Norm Holcomb, the uh, chairman of the Yarmouth Board of Selectmen, said we want to really consider that again here, uh, before moving with the school, this vote really kind of crystallizes, you know, the relationship in a lot of ways. Because with this vote, Yarmouth essentially is bound to pay for this for their portion of say, this. You're going to pay for a new school, and then <laughs> and then and then split up again. What what you know that would seems like it would. Uh, uh, I think as again, uh, Jane Lander said, uh, you know, uh, spite your. Uh, cut off your nose to spite your face basically um it's at 48 million dollars i think is what yarmouth would have to put into the new school they by doing this uh they do uh put themselves in a position i think next week is the vote by the uh massachusetts um uh, school building authority uh to get 45 million dollars in state funding for the school that's another reason why regionalization and regional schools are, are really looked at as the way to go because you get this potential pot of money from the state and you can get it for other things when you're an individual school but but when they look at regionalization and regional schools uh, they look more favorably on those uh, from from the looks of it and there was uh, I think Holcomb raised he's like how could the the school administration uh, folks look at this uh, at the state level and think it's a good idea to fund this when it was you know Yarmouth Kulela rejected it 
um, you know, by the actual voters in Yarmouth. Um, and Yarmouth also rejected a debt exclusion to pay for it, which is important because they're going to have to figure out a way to pay for it in rejecting that debt exclusion, which they can come back on and vote on again. Um, they've also put them in a position to potentially have to take it out of their other budgets, and, and that would be a huge hit for the town. Yeah, because uh, I've covered a few new school openings, tons of municipal new buildings, and I can't remember one that was built without a debt exclusion. Yeah, it's I mean, you're, you're, you really would be diving in. And Yarmouth has had to do that in the past when they haven't been able to fund the operating budget, which you're talking $500,000 rather than millions and millions of dollars. Uh, they've had to cut uh, services or figure out ways to do it through their through their uh, town operating budget. But this is a whole nother scope and a whole nother ballgame. So in any case, if they uh, went forward and, and somehow uh, were to uh, to avoid uh, the debt exclusion or rejected the debt exclusion in the, in the future, they, they would have to pay for it somehow. The school uh, building administration is going to vote on the uh, whether or not they're going to kind of put their money uh, towards this uh, next week. Um, and uh, again, Landers from the school committee uh, seemed to say that she touched base with them, and the vote it didn't. They didn't say the vote was going to affect that decision on their part. So you know, it seems like they were pretty favorable towards this idea, and and uh, will continue to be so. Again, if Yarmouth moves towards deregionalization somehow, it's a long process that. Probably, probably there'll be reporters after Kristen in, in <laughs> decades to come who will be covering that. It's so long and extended, um, but we'll we'll continue to uh, uh, you know uh, cover it here as a as a paper one way or the other. Um, another kind of big story that we've been covering uh, long term here has been uh, the Mashpee Wampanoag tribe's uh, quest to a secure land uh, for their tribe and b. Uh, build a casino in Taunton, which is what they've been trying to do. Um, they, they, in the last year, it's been a roller coaster ride for them. They, they you know, felt like they were on the road to success, and then there were some decisions made in court. Neighbors in Taunton, where they wanted to build this casino, sued. Uh, they won in court. This judge sent it, this decision by the Department of Interior to take land and trust for the tribe, which is needed to kind of do the, the casino the way they want to do it. Um, sent that back to the Interior Department, and then the Interior Department basically came back and said, "Yeah, you know what? You're right. We're not gonna we're not gonna do this land and trust thing." And and uh, and that left the tribe uh, sitting where they are now with this decision from the Interior Department that overrides a previous decision it had made. And now, can you explain the land and trust? Because I think that's something that I don't totally understand. And I bet a lot of yeah, other people totally, don't totally absolutely. Understand. And and there's a reason because it's complicated. But uh, the the fact is that the tribe essentially has to prove to the federal government that they were a recognized tribe as of 1934, which is when this Indian Reorganization Act was passed. And if they can prove that, then they are eligible uh, to have land taken into trust by the federal government. And essentially, they, the, the federal government acts as a trustee for the tribe, holds the land for the tribe, and the tribe gets the benefits that that uh, Indian tribes across the country have gotten from those situations, from having reservations and land into trust. In that, you know, they generally don't have to pay taxes in those situations. They 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 can do uh, schools, they can do housing, they can do other things on that land uh, in a much more uh, in a much easier fashion than they would if they were just doing it as an organization regularly or as a as an entity regularly, because they actually act as their own government, uh, sovereign government in, in those cases. And really the, the, the federal government, the U.S. federal government, is just acting as a trustee holding that land for them. And in this case, uh, it's 321 acres in Mashpee and Taunton, 
and the taunt land is where the tribe has decided they want to build this casino and as with you know as we've seen across the country in connecticut and other places uh they're able to build these casinos not pay the substantial taxes that you would otherwise uh, have to pay for these casinos and able to do it you know even when when laws may say that you can't have casinos or whatever the tribe's sovereignty allows them to move forward with that now in massachusetts kind of parallel, obviously casinos became legal um, within the different regions of Massachusetts. In this southeastern region, uh, the uh, group at the state level who looked at whether or not uh, they would uh, let different entities move forward with casinos in different areas, looked at this area, said, well, the tribe's gonna do a casino there, so really we're not gonna give this, this other casino license to this uh, group that wanted to do one in Brockton. And, and again, the tribe, part of a, it's a very, tied together um, part of a deal they made with the state a long time ago was the state so you know supports their bid for federal recognition and that's their bid for to get land in trust and the tribe won't do a casino basically on the cape or in mashpee which is really their their kind of home base um and and so in in that process the tribe also agreed you know if they were the if they were the only uh Ball game in town in southeastern Massachusetts, they would pay a certain amount of taxes, even though they don't really need to. They would do that um, as a sign of goodwill, and if they had any competition, then they wouldn't pay those taxes. So, and now all these steps sounds like it's cost a lot of money to get these things done, which I think is what Tanner's story. Yeah, it's absolutely Tanner Stenning who's been covering this and has been following uh, the group that has been financially backing this whole process. And and with anything of this uh, amount of money, as you said, it's very expensive. You got lawyers, you got people who have to design the casino, you got construction costs, you got lobbying uh, in all sorts of ways. Um, that group is a group called Genting Malaysia. Uh, they're out of Malaysia, obviously. They're a big casino developer internationally. And uh, we, we've reported and Tanner's reported in the last uh, several months and, and half a year, about $426 million had gone towards uh, all this work. Uh, and so what he was reporting on this weekend was uh, basically Genting Malaysia saying that they had uh, what's called an impairment loss of $440 million that's tied to their their uh, support of the tribe and all their efforts. And essentially that they're, they're in reporting this impairment loss, they're saying uh, they're selling or abandoning an asset that is no longer beneficial. Kind of technical language, but the, the long and short of it is they're basically saying, yeah, we don't think this thing is going to happen. Uh, I mean, is really what it comes down to. And they say, they base that on the September 7th decision from the Department of Interior that I talked about earlier. Um, and so for the tribe, uh, certainly that's a blow. Uh, I think we received a statement from the tribe as late as last night, and Tanner's uh, working on uh, following up on that in terms of what the potential ramifications of that decision by Genting Malaysia are. Um and you know it, it it just it just is another kind of blow to the tribe now at the same time just very quickly there is a bill that's up in congress that's being not being talked about that much right now but it's there and they're looking at it that would essentially say we don't care if the interior department or 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 a judge uh, decided that this tribe didn't meet the qualifications as a tribe we're going to pass a law that says that they deserve to have this land and trust if they get that bill passed, if that gets through the House, the Senate, signed by the president or, or overturned by the, by Congress, if he doesn't sign it, then that would secure the land for them. And it would also mean that they can't be challenged legally going forward. So that that's kind of the the uh, uh, thing that they're the golden ring that they're trying to capture at this point. Um, and, and that's going to be kind of the next step as to whether or not that happens. In the meantime, Genting seems to be saying, 
we've we've lost four hundred forty million dollars here, basically. And yeah. and and again, Tanner's story has a lot about how the loans from Genting, how those have dropped off over the years, going to the tribe as this has become more and more tenuous in terms of whether or not that casino is going to go forward. Continue to follow all his reporting at CapeCutTimes.com uh, slash Wampanoag. Actually, there's a special page for that. Um, so uh, we talked a lot about a lot of things here, but w- the big story that you worked on this week was about uh, Brewster's decision uh, to uh, not go forward with uh, marijuana facilities in town and some of the potential legal uh, ramifications of that decision. What, what went on there and what's happening? So uh, a citizens group called the Concerned Residents of Brewster brought forward a citizens petition for this special town meeting on Monday. Um, what they did uh, was a general bylaw that would ban any type of recreational marijuana facility. So a cultivator, uh, a retail store, uh, a testing facility, anything like that in the town of Brewster, um, which towns have the right to do. Um, They decided they wanted to do that because they're looking at all of their neighbors. Um, Orleans has banned retail. Basically, everyone next to Brewster, immediately next to Brewster, has banned retail in some sort of fashion, if not more types. Um, so, town meeting on Monday was a uh, was quite an event. Um, a lot of people. Yeah, out. usually Brewster's uh, town meetings, uh, four hundred people. Um, this one had over twelve hundred. Um, yeah. So, at the Stony Brook Elementary School, you had every seat was filled on the gym floor where they held town meeting. They had bleachers were filled, just people sitting in the in-between space all over the gym floor. Um, you, It was so full, the gym was at capacity that they had to open the library for residents to be in there, and they had it broadcasted on a screen in there. And I love the fact you you had done a couple of stories in the last couple of weeks, months, about two different things. A, uh, the kind of uh, what you had just been talking about, how there were different spots, what the landscape on the Cape was as far as marijuana and, and people looking at their location in that landscape. And as you said, Brewster, if they had gone forward with this, would have been a little bit of an island surrounded by towns that had denied uh, recreational marijuana in any case. And then you also had done a story, I think not too long ago, about what it takes to get people out to a town meeting and, and controversial issues are, are really what it Yeah, takes. controversial issues are the only way to get people to town meeting, and uh, apparently it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was super busy. Um, they, they, after, it was hours of debate. Um, they ended up voting very narrowly. I think it was like 632 to 561 or somewhere exactly in there. what you have here. Yeah. Um, to ban, um, which could bring some legal issues. So... Brewster tried to ban marijuana last town meeting, last fall town meeting, mm-hmm. uh, and it didn't pass. So if after usually when towns, if they try and ban and it doesn't pass, then they work to get zoning regulations in kind of they look at town meeting as kind of the beacon and they say, we don't want to ban it. Mm-hmm. So you put some kind of restrictions on so you have control where it over can where be, it can go. Yep, Otherwise, yep. if you don't put any, it can go anywhere. Yeah. Um, so Brewster did that. They put in zoning controls. Um, and so now this is, gets cut a little wonky, but so when you start controlling something through zoning and then this, this thing that they, the ban that they pass is a general bylaw. Mm-hmm. So general bylaws are easier to pass a town meeting. You only need a majority vote. Zoning needs two thirds. But so the issue at hand is whether you are controlling something that should be regulated through zoning 
through something that's easier to do and just blankets over. So both of these bylaws still exist in Brewster's Town Code. So you have one bylaw that says recreational marijuana shops can go here, here, and here. Yep. Another one that says they're not allowed at all. Sounds like conflict. Yeah, so there's uh, off Cape Charlton has basically had the same exact thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the AG's office says these the general bylaws are legal, but with the caveat that if you've decided something should be uh, regulated through zoning previously, it's going to hold a lot more weight that you probably should have done this through zoning too. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, the companies, the few companies that are looking to open in Brewster are still going through the process. Yeah. Um, they're still on planning board agendas. So it's going to take someone, someone's probably going to get sued somewhere down the line. Um, and the attorney general in the case of the Charlton ban had said they, they're, they're only able to really disapprove a bylaw when it presents a clear conflict with state law or the Constitution, essentially saying, we can't really disapprove it, it, it but that doesn't mean that you're not going to get legally challenged. And and interestingly enough, I think the attorney for the town of Brewster is also the attorney for Charlton in in, in their case as well. Um, so it seems like that case is, as we've said, and you wrote, kind of mirroring this. That's going to move forward, you said, in January? Yeah, I think Jan- January 4th is they have a judgment hearing so Brewster may get a preview of what they may be facing and it also may uh, I guess give the the different parties an idea of what their likelihood of success is if they move forward they may if it goes one way they may say all right this isn't worth challenging because we know we're gonna lose or they may say hey you know this these people in Charlton won um, we should go forward with a with a lawsuit yeah and yeah I mean it's kind of it just goes to show the kind of what town meeting is is people can vote Democracy, democracy at its Um, finest. Yeah, all the boards, all the executive branch boards said, we don't support this. And town says, that's, I mean, that's the beauty of town meeting. You can override your. your And they said they didn't support the general bylaw? Yes. Okay, interesting. And, but they, were they saying we should be doing this through zoning, essentially? Like you had said before. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that is uh, going to be playing out as well. So lots of stuff to follow in the Cape Cod Times going forward, including uh, more on marijuana and Brewster that uh, you'll be looking at, Ethan. Uh, Thanks. Another uh, story that you'll be looking at uh, kind of going forward really quickly is a a island that some folks in Orleans are eyeing. This is complicated, and you'll you'll have a story probably running tomorrow or Saturday about this. Uh, What is it in a nutshell? So... um the Friends of Pleasant Bay, a nonprofit environmental group, is looking at potentially trying to buy, in the grand scheme of things, buy with uh, help from the town, the island, Sipson's Island, which is in Pleasant Bay. Yeah. It's the last private island in Pleasant Bay. Um, they submitted an application to CPC, which has kind of brought this issue to light. It's been in an executive session meetings for a few months now. And that's a community preservation committee, which controls a pot of money that is there. It's not new taxpayer money per se. It's money that comes from deeds, uh, basically certain a percentage, fee, yeah, yeah. certain percentage on deeds, and so goes towards a variety. I think four different categories of things, including open space, which this probably would fall under. Yeah. So the friends of Pleasant Bay are working with a private backer who yep. is negotiating a price to buy this island for and then sell it back to the Friends of Pleasant Bay and the town. They would share it 
um, and it would be used for open space, like kind of a green destination. So, um, so we'll it see. sounds like we're a long way from from any yes, finality. This but. is all very preliminary. The Friends of Pleasant Bay have been actually approved this plan. Yeah, um, it has. It's they just had to submit it to the CPC deadline um, before next town cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, so everybody can read about that in the story you're you're writing. Have- pretty much already written and and that'll be uh hopefully in tomorrow's paper uh thanks again for joining us uh tell your friends share the link uh, feel free to r- reach out with any story tips or ideas ethan's always open to your ideas um all of our emails are available at capecodtimes.com we're where the news starts on cape cod until next week good morning and good luck <laughs>